If you would please, in your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 37. Today we're going to talk about an influencer in the Bible. And we will get to Genesis chapter 37, verse 23, in just a moment. Dr. Evan Kane was the chief surgeon at Kane Summit Hospital in New York City. He had practiced his specialty for 37 years. Over the course of time, he came to question the wisdom of using general anesthesia for every single surgery that they did. He believed that people would recover quicker if they only had local anesthesia. However, no matter how convinced Dr. Kane was about this theory, he had one problem. No one wanted to go under his knife while they were awake. Everyone he talked to had the same fear. They didn't want to feel the pain of the scalpel while they were awake during surgery. After much searching, Cain finally found a willing subject. It helped that it was a relatively common procedure. According to Dr. Cain's own records, during his practice, he had performed around 4,000 appendectomies. So the procedure was almost second nature to him. The patient was prepped and brought into the operating room. The local anesthesia was carefully administered. As he had always done, he cut into the right side of the abdomen and entered the body cavity. That's enough detail right there, right? He tied off the blood vessels, found the appendix, removed it, and finished by sewing the incision back up. To his own credit, he proved himself right. Throughout the surgery, the patient felt very little discomfort. In fact, he was up and around the next afternoon which was remarkable since this was back in 1921. Back when people had epidemics, they were kept in the hospital for six to eight days to recover. It was a milestone in the world of medicine. However, what made it particularly noteworthy was that the patient and the doctor were the same person. Dr. Kane operated on himself. How many of you believe you could do that? I can't put a band-aid on myself. There's no way I could do that. The influence he had on the medical community changed medical procedures for the last 100 years. Our culture buys into the premise that leadership and position are what's most important in life. But as one writer put it, the key to leadership today is influence not authority. In reality, influences reaches much further than any title or position ever could. And when that influence is blessed by God, it reaches even into eternity. Everyone here in this room this morning, right now, has influence. Sociologists say that even self-proclaimed introverts, do we have any introverts here? Would an introvert actually raise their hand? <laughs> Perhaps we have a lot of introverts here. Okay, introverts. Sociologist tells us that even you influence an average of 1,000 people over the course of your life. 
Obviously, some people have more prominent influence than others, like a president over a country or a CEO over a company. But this does not indicate a more significant influence. There is a difference between a prominent influence and a significant influence. And I am suggesting this morning that everyone in this room can have a significant influence. Consider the influence of just one life this morning. Yours. Think about your spheres of influence. Perhaps the most influential person in this world and on this planet is a parent. Parents have the power to shape and to mold a life. It's a lasting influence that is significant. Who in this room has not been influenced by a friend? Friends have power to affect thinking, sway beliefs, stimulate action, and even encourage direction. Teachers, if you are a teacher, you too have an incalculable influence. The influence of a teacher can never be erased and reaches into eternity. If you serve in the workforce, you have an influence that reaches in multiple directions. To supervisors, to peers, to co-workers, everyone, parents, friends, teachers, workers, entrepreneurs, business owners have influence and your influences, influence reaches further than what you actually realize. But there's a problem. We believe a lie. Satan tells us that we don't have much influence in our life. We understand Satan is a liar, but why is it we keep believing his lies? He is a very good liar. He's been lying to humanity for 6,000 years. For six millennium, he has been studying mankind. He has been tempting and lying to humans for 6,000 years, and he has gotten very good at it. I don't believe he could read our mind, but he could read our body language. He can read our habits. He could read what we're prone to do, and he knows how to lie. And one of the lies Satan tells us is our life cannot have a significant influence on those around us. Now, I think we sometimes believe that lie because we don't see the immediate effects of our influence. This morning, let's look at an account of one of the greatest influencers in history. His name is Joseph, and we can read his backstory in the book of Genesis. Joseph's life is an unusual road to great influence, but that road is charted by many challenges along the way that he had to overcome. And since he overcame those challenges, he had great influence. Let's explore through his life what we can learn through his The very first challenge of Joseph's life I want to look at this morning is the challenge of mistreatment. Genesis chapter 37, 23, you're already there, and it came to pass. When Joseph was calm under his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him, and they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty, and there was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead 
with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to where? Egypt. And Judah, who is the oldest brother, said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come, and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. And let not our hands be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brethren were content. Then there passed by the Midianites' merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they brought Joseph into Egypt. Joseph was born into what we would call a very dysfunctional family. This family had envying and fighting and destructive competition amongst all of the siblings. Joseph was the youngest one. He had 10 older half-brothers. Insanely jealous of Joseph because Joseph was the baby and he was favored by their father. And dad did not try to hide his favoritism whatsoever. And jealousy overcame all 10 of his stepbrothers. Joseph endured the challenge of mistreatment from them. But his brothers, they found a way to rid themselves of Joseph. Motivated by greed and jealousy, they decided that they would sell him into slavery. And in the process, get 20 pieces of silver. Ten brothers, 20 pieces. They each scored two pieces of silver. Imagine the trauma of Joseph, who at this age is 17 years old. He was bound, put into a line of other slaves, headed. Maybe he knew he was headed to Egypt. Maybe he didn't. But kicked the sand all the way on down to Egypt. Now as a slave. Yet through all of this, Joseph insisted that he would not give in to bitterness. He was mistreated. He didn't deserve any of that. But yet he did not become bitter against his brothers. He passed his challenge of mistreatment. But not only that, he also passed the challenge of being misrepresented. Let's fast forward a little bit. Genesis chapter 29 or 39 verse 2. And the Lord was with Joseph and he was a prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight and he served him. And he made him overseer over his house and all that he had, he had put into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house For Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he knew not aught he had save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. But before we hit the next verse, there's a major turn in the story. Verse 7, it came to pass after these things. That his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and she said to him, lie with me. Joseph, as a slave going down to Egypt, had a good influence and he was noticed. He was a positive influence on all the slaves around him. And then a man noticed Joseph that he was different and said, I want to use that man. The man's name was Potiphar. 
He got him out of slavery and made him a supervisor within his household. Potiphar was a high-ranking officer. He was actually captain of the guard. So it was a tremendous thing to go from slave to actually supervisor of the captain of the guard's home. Potiphar's wife took notice of the sharp young administrator that her husband had just promoted into their household. And she made it her personal mission to seduce him. But with moral strength that only God could provide, Joseph refused, not just once, but multiple times. The situation finally came to the head when Potiphar's wife, in Genesis 39 verse 12 says it best, caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled. On that day, Joseph lost his coat, but he kept his character. Potiphar's wife, not willing to be rejected by Joseph, determined that she would get even with him. And when Potiphar came home that night, she misrepresented what actually happened. And she told the lie. And she had Joseph's coat to prove it. Potiphar didn't ask any follow-up questions, but immediately removed Joseph from his position and threw him into prison. Joseph's courage led him through the challenge of being misrepresented. He was lied about. His character was attacked. He was wrongly accused. He was expelled from his position. He was in prison, not in prison with a court date to come, not in prison with a phone call to a lawyer. That did not exist. He was in prison for what he figured would be for life. But during these years, he was faithful. He trusted God. Yeah, he had an upbringing that was tremendously mistreated. And he also right now was misrepresented. He was lied about and no one would hear his side of the story. And he's thrown in the prison. And while he was in prison, he remained faithful and he had influence on the other prisoners. How do we know that? Let me read it to you. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the innkeeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all of the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did there, he was a doer of it. Joseph had tremendous influence and that was noticed. And he was promoted to supervisor of the prison. Still a prisoner, but over the other prisoners. And while he was locked away in prison, he also faced another challenge, the challenge of misfortune. Joseph one day felt a glimmer of hope for release. There were two other men that were prisoners. One was the former butler of Pharaoh, not Potiphar, captain of the guard. We're talking Pharaoh, the man in charge of all of Egypt. Think of the pyramids of Egypt. Think of Egypt during its golden era. That's the time we're talking about. That Pharaoh, his previous butler, was in prison along with his previous baker. Each one of them independently had a dream. And the dream was so vivid, but they couldn't make anything of it. And they started talking to Joseph, and they told Joseph their dreams. And without going too much into it, God gave Joseph the interpretation of their dreams. And he went to those two men and said, I know what the dreams mean. Who wants to go first? Butler. Okay, your dream. Pretty much, you're going to be restored back to the position you had. You're going to be restored back to your butlership. Yes. 
Baker, my turn. Uh, well, how do I put this? Um, the bad news is there is no good news. Um, you're not going to make it out alive. It came about verse Genesis 40, verse 21. Let me read this to you. And he restored the chief butler unto his butlership again and gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. And he hanged the chief butler as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forget him. Right after Joseph told them the interpretation of their dreams, he looked at the butler and said, please don't forget me. When you're out of fear, you're going to have the ear of the Pharaoh. Every single meal that Pharaoh eats, the butler is there. Please remember me. The butler was restored, but he forgot Joseph. Great misfortune for him. Joseph's lifeline didn't come, and he realized he was forgotten. We all understand what it means to be forgotten. Still alive, but forgotten. A couple of weeks ago, I was reading Apple News headlines on my iPad, and I came across this article dated February 8th, 2022, less than one month ago. And it said, Italian police discovered the mummified mummified remains of a 70-year-old woman sitting at her kitchen table more than two years after she died. Marinella Beretta was found in her house in Prestino near Lake Como in northern Italy. Police stumbled upon her remains when they made a house call during high winds in Lombardy, which risked uprooting neglected trees in her garden. Her neighbors, who had not seen her since September 2019, assumed she had moved away at the start of the pandemic. Police found nothing at the scene to suggest foul play, and the council was expected to pay for her funeral and burial. The local local newspaper concluded their article by saying the following. The mystery of Marinella's invisible life behind the closed gate of her cottage teaches us a terrible lesson. The real sadness is not that the others did not notice her death. It is that they did not realize Marinella Beretta was even alive. Those who could have had influence on her life forgot about her. Imagine how easy it would have been for Joseph at this point to become embittered towards God, to become cynical, to have a hardened heart towards him. Two years passed, and then one afternoon, Joseph found himself being royally escorted into Pharaoh's presence. To make a long story short, the butler, who had earlier forgotten about Joseph, remembered him. You see, Pharaoh himself had a dream. And no one could really make heads or tails of what that dream meant. And in that moment, the butler realized, wait a second. I had a dream one time. And I was in prison. What's that guy's name? What's his name? Joseph. Joseph. I told him my dream, and he interpreted it, and it actually ended up being true. The Pharaoh said, I want you to bring Joseph to me. Joseph found himself in front of Pharaoh. He tells Joseph his dream. God once again reveals to Joseph the interpretation of what that dream meant. And Joseph told Pharaoh, said, look, this is what it means. For the next seven years, Egypt is going to have the most prosperous years it's ever had. You will be enriched like never before. There's going to be abundance of crops. However, after those seven years, there's going to be another seven years of famine that you have never seen before. 
by the end of the meeting, Joseph was promoted to second in command of all of Egypt. What I find interesting is God used Joseph's time in prison to bring him in contact with the butler. Had Joseph never been thrown in prison, he never would have rubbed shoulders with that butler and never would have been made second in command of Egypt. We have to understand God uses in our life times of misfortune for his benefit. The problem is we lack faith. We forget that God is always faithful. And even though life seems to take a hard left turn, we realize, God, you must be in control. Therefore, I trust you. And Joseph all along never doubted God, but remained faithful. One more challenge I'd like to mention, and that is the challenge of fortune. June, or Genesis 41, verse 39 says this, And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God hath showed thee all of this, there is no, none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto my word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it upon Joseph's hand. Pharaoh's ring was insignificant. It was that ring that legislation was passed. It was with that ring receipts were signed. It was also the power of purchase. And Pharaoh himself, over all of Egypt, slipped that ring off his finger, put it on the finger of Joseph. That tells you just the authority and the place of position that Joseph now has. And Joseph used his influence to store provisions for seven years because after that would be seven years of famine. Once the famine hit, the world began to come to Egypt because it was rumored Egypt had food. And part of the people that came down to Egypt for food were nonetheless but Joseph's brothers himself. If you think it would be difficult to be sold by your brothers into slavery... Consider what it would be like to meet those same brothers when you had power to exact revenge on them. With grace surpassing human ability, Joseph assured his brothers in Genesis 45, 5, Now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. Through all of this, the challenge of fortune, things are really good right now. Life for Joseph is absolutely wonderful. He has everything at his disposal, but he remembered that it all came from God. Sometimes it's easy to remember God when life is tough and hard and filled with challenges. But what about on those bright, sunny days when life has never been better than it is right now? Do we face or pass that challenge? Joseph did. Joseph influenced nations. And they were saved by his influence. Our influence is for the benefit of others. True influence is actually servanthood. When we hear the context of influencers today, we think of someone with a lot of following. We have something to look to for trends. And how, what, what, what's the latest thing that we should do? But a true influencer is someone who actually serves others. 
And we look at the life of Joseph, we can't help but see his was a life of servanthood over and over. But for Joseph, prosperity and success and the intoxicating power that he had did not cause him to forget who God was. And he realized his good fortune was from God. And here's my conclusion. God uses the injustices in our life to increase our influence. We all have injustices. Every one of us here knows what, it's, what it means to be mistreated. We've been there. Some of you are saying, I am there right now. We all know what it's like to be misrepresented, lied about, or just a sliver of truth and never have the opportunity to tell our side of the story. Experience misfortune where it's just a matter of events and all of a sudden life is not as good as it used to be. Through all of that, through all of those injustices, God allows them to come into our life to increase our influence. And I'm here this morning saying you have far more influence than you realize. And God expects us to be good stewards of that influence. Thanks for listening this week to the Graceway Baptist Church podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, head on over to our website at gracewaycharlotte.org. We are a church located in South Charlotte. We are growing and our ministries are doing big things for Christ. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at info at gracewaycharlotte.org. Also, stay in the loop with everything happening by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is Graceway Charlotte. Thanks again for listening to the Graceway Charlotte podcast. We'll see you next week.